Hello everyone, Namu here for Barrel Surf Podcast. On this week's show, we have professional surfer, writer, photographer, Matt George, catching up with T-Bone in T-Bone Talks to Matt George. T-Bone got a hold of Matt living in Bali. So Matt goes into his brand new book, In Deep. It's a collection of stories and interviews with surfers that he's come across along the way. Matt is a fascinating character. He's got a five-day rule. So every time he does an interview, he'll spend five days with someone, getting to know them, living with them, eating with them, drinking with them, just so we can really get a perspective into their life and their world. Don't forget this week's show is brought to you by Forrester Estate, Cheeky Monkey Brewing, Shark Eyes Wetsuits, Down South Physio, Dunbay Home Loans, Adsy's Plumbing and Gas, and of course, AG1 Athletic Greens. And now it's on with the show. Barrel Surf Podcast. 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 Yeehaw! Thanks for joining us on Barrel Surf Podcast and uh, no better way to kick off. We've just uh, ran the WSL finals and trestles, mate. Did you stay up all night and do an all-nighter or did you watch all the replays this morning? I stayed up all night. Um, I'm in the same time zone as you know as well. I live in Bali here and um, I'm a big supporter of uh, I'm a big supporter of, of professional surfing and have been all my life, of course. And um you know, I thought it was a great show. I, I know all the whinging about, you know, it should be in 20-foot cloud break and, you know, <laughs> yeah. Carissa was the best all year and the whole points. But here, you know, uh, my mentality is that it is – our professional surfing world has always had plenty of whingers. But think about what the WSL is getting done. Mm. We can criticize it all day long we can we can we can say what we want about the 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 wall of positive noise and all this sort of stuff but look what they've done they're making surfers rich yeah. and they're making surfers rich not necessarily rip curl they're making people like Ethan Ewing rich you know mm -hmm. and to me that alone because i've been is a great thing because i have been a card carrying member of the IPS the ASP and the WSL. And, and they've always been kind of cockamamie, you know, Tyron. They've always been kind of crazy. But <laughs> I, I found that it's the surfing that matters. And how many great titles have been won in small waves? Most of them. Yeah. So I, I thought it was, I think it's fitting. And I think the WSL does a, a is doing a, a really great job for the resources that they have. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I I watched the highlights. I, I stayed up for a little bit, and obviously, I was going for come uh, some of the Aussie boys. But Ethan Ewing, um, you know, having a back injury in Tahiti, and here he is, like he's surfing, just looked like he had no injury at all. It's just phenomenal how, how he can just lay those big hammers on mm. the trestles walls. What do you think of Ethan surfing? You bit of a fan? Well, I'm a huge fan, and I'll tell you why. When I when I saw him take off on that first wave in that first heat, I thought, oh, my God, Ethan's going to become world champion. Um, I thought he was surfing at a world champion level in those waves. And I got to tell you, he reminded me of uh, a mid-career Kelly Slater, you know, flow, style, power. The kind of surfing that real surfers want to see, yeah. you know, 
the pump pump and a jump surfing that we see from the Brazilians is uh, it's interesting. It's, it's childish. It's um, I don't know. It, it just seems like to me, it's like one of those bouncy cancels that people rent for their six, six year old's birthday. You know, they're just bouncing along. Uh, and that frantic, that panicked, frantic nature of, of that brand of surfing that say like Philippe Toledo, it's 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 too frantic for me. It's too nervous. Yes, yeah, it's, chaotic. Um, it, it's chaotic. You know, Chianka is pretty chaotic, isn't it? Yeah, but Ethan surfing, I, I'm a big fan. I always have been. Even even uh, followed his surfing since he was young. There's obvious um, comparisons to Andy Irons, uh, but personally, I find his lines far uh, in closer resemblance. To Kelly Slater's big looping figure eight surfing, big looping, you know, those big figure eights. You know, I think that um, I, I think he he was a deserving second place. You know, I understand the criteria. I understand what's going on. That's fine. But man, what a great performance from Ethan Ewing. Yeah, it was amazing. Now the uh, flip over to the women's uh, another world title for uh, for Florida. So Caroline Marks, she just looked. Looks so powerful and on point. Uh, she to me, she looked like she was always going to win. Um, bit bit feel a bit sorry for Carissa. Two years running. I mean, you could say Carissa was maybe the best surfer of the year, but uh, yeah, big congratulations to Caroline, first title. Well, we look at it this way, and certain myself when I say we, just the people I've been talking to. Um, I look at it this way. Look, this is like the American Super Bowl. You fight, fight, fight all year for the right to go hop into the Coliseum in a one-day sporting event and show your best and do your best, okay? It's just like our Super Bowl. You have to qualify for the day. Now, I understand earning points all year. I get it. Um, I think it's fantastic, which is why I would like to advise the WSL to lean on the World Cup of Skiing. And I'll tell you why. They have their, one of their contests is a World Cup. Okay, so you can win the World Cup and you could win the world title. I think we need a World Cup in there so people can be satisfied with things that happen with people that are, that collect all the points. What you do is you spend your year earning the points to get to the big day, to get to the state of origin, to get to the grand finals. You know, yeah. that's what, you, that's what you're doing out there. Yeah. And I mean, another thing too, that's what it is. If you remember Damien Harmon won two world titles yeah. and he won it during an era where it was four to the beach, three to the beach, it was called. Yeah. You had to take off on these waves and just, three to the beach, off lip, off lip, all the way to the beach. And you know what he did? He followed the criteria. He was on the tour doing the right thing, and he earned two world titles. They are credible world titles because those were the rules. So I believe that this new format, you can complain all you want, but it is what it is. You need to earn your way to that final day, and Ethan Ewing did. Yeah. Even with an even with uh, uh, an injury at Tahiti, I was going to ask you. Um, obviously, you've been 
through 40 plus years, like you said before, you've seen ASP, WSL, you've seen um, professional surfing for God knows how long. What do you think of the mid-season cut and the, and the whole final five? Sounds like you're, you're, you're a supporter of it. As a businessman, I'm a supporter of it. Not that I'm some great businessman. I'm a journalist and you know what that <laughs> means. But what I'm saying is it was a smart financial move for the WSL to stay alive. Yes. Um, as a surfer, no, I don't like it. Hmm. I, I want to see all these guys, you know, hitting it hard together all year. Um, <clears throat> there's some of the lower tier surfers that are still great surfers that I enjoy watching. And I get a little bored. I get a little bored in the back half of the season because to me, the fields, it's just too small. And I'm seeing the same guys do the same things over and over and over. And um, I'm not seeing any surprises, which is one of the great things about sport, any sport. As you know, I'm a Geelong Cats supporter, you know, but as you know, in any sport, surprise, surprise, and 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 you know, the Aussie battler or the the underdog is what we're looking for. Yes. And after the mid-year cut, I don't see any underdogs. No, no. It's funny, um, Geelong Cats, so I don't know if you remember, Western Bulldogs um, finished eighth um, a few years ago and then came up and won the grand final. And, and it was just the biggest um, football grand final win f- for years and years because it hadn't been Western Bulldogs' first grand final. I can't remember how many years, but to come from eighth to the first, everyone just loved the underdog, the battler, to yeah. uh, to win. Yeah. Speaking of sports, I was just looking this morning. There's so much sports. You've got the NFL over in the States starting today. Is that right? The NFL? Yeah, opening day, man. Opening sure. day. And then I see, I see over in uh, they've got the World Cup rugby. I actually was watching uh, the All Blacks play France last night. And then obviously WS finals. We've got the NFL. We've got the AFL finals. Are you a bit of a sports mad um, person or you or you've sort of got a couple of sports that you follow? I have a couple of sports that I follow. I often ask people uh, what their favorite Olympic sport is. And I ask them, what is your favorite winter Olympic sport? And what is your favorite uh, summer Olympic sport? And you can tell a lot about someone's personality when you ask that question. Um, I uh, follow of all, I I have a very eclectic, um, a very eclectic taste. First of all, um, I love springboard diving. Well, um, I, for some reason, it, it relates to surfing. And of course, in high school, I was briefly a, a springboard diver. Um, and I I like to watch um, down uh, the downhill skiing, of course. And I'm a big Olympic fan of um, in the Summer Olympics. I love the field and track. I just love it. And yeah. so those sort of individual sports like surfers, you know, I'm not a big team uh, flag waver. Um, I'm, I'm my, the sports that I follow are more like surfing. They're very individual, private uh, efforts. So yes, the reason I'm a Geelong Cats fan is I, yeah, I, used to spend a lot, I, I used to spend a lot of time down in Turkey with the Bell's Beach contest. Yeah, yeah. I was a competitor when I was young. I then, you know, became a journalist and spent a lot of time and I became the voice of the American voice of Triple J. So Ah, I I spent, yeah, announcing the contest, me and Claw Warbrick and guys like Neil Ridgway and and, uh, Reggae and all those guys. And so um, I became 
it's just fun to to get involved in the incredible spirit of sport with Australians. It to to be to be able to talk about cricket, to be able to talk about um, you know uh, the AFL and all this with them. It's just so much damn fun because to you guys, it's such a religion. And it's just it's just really fun to get together with my Australian friends and and tell them my different perspective and poke a little fun at it. And, yeah. you know, so I, I really enjoy that. But no, I I don't I don't have any, you know, sports posters on my walls of of my heroes. Yeah, uh, I wave a lot of flags. I You know, I don't I don't wear the uh, uh, the Newcastle Knights T-shirt I have when I you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I go to watch the Knights, you know, like, you know. <laughs> Oh, classic. Uh, hey, the Broncos, yeah. you know, the Broncos yeah. up there in Brazil. Yeah. Classic. But, hey, but yeah. I think I think it's interesting that I've spent a lot of time in Australia, Tyron. I've yes, I've lived in I've lived in Australia. And um I used to live up above the Manly Ferry there. And and uh, I remember the Manly Eagles had their practice pitch not far from the place that I was living. And when they started to work out and 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 practice, you could hear them from like four blocks away, you could hear these monsters smashing into each other. And it was an incredible sound, I will tell you, from oh. blocks away. Oh, my God. Yeah, yeah. Rugby is not a sport that I, I took up. I mean, I grew up in Western Australia, so it was always AFL and cricket. But uh, rugby, you got to have a certain uh, build to uh, wow. focus in that sport. Yes, I think that you need to be part Terminator. Exactly. <laughs> so horrible i never played it i i just i wasn't man enough you know well man. but i've enjoyed i've enjoyed my cricket i've yep. enjoyed my cricket that's a that's a gentleman's sport which they like to get together afterwards in in the club rooms for a few beers so uh it's a good one sure hey matt what i wanted to ask you and you sort of we were talking about the wsl before sure eric logan's obviously departed the wsl mm. Who do you think needs to, what sort of person do you think needs to come in to be the, the new CEO? I think it should be me. You know what? I was going to ask you if you were interested. <laughs> no, would you seriously? I'm, I'm very, yeah. I'm very interested. The only thing I don't have a background in is business and, yeah. and boardrooms and uh, suits and ties and the amount of money that's getting thrown around, especially with this new Saudi Arabian interest and all this. That's the only thing. So the reason I very egotistically say it should be me is because I think I represent um, a, a lot of surfers. I think it could be a lot of surfers. I think it could be a surfer off the street. Yeah. Because the bottom line is um, it does need it needs a surfer in charge. It needs someone that doesn't put their fins in backwards, you know. And, and the bottom line is that, um, yes, surfer run the surfer run IPS and the surfer run ASP was a bit of a mess. Yes. And so it, it swung in the other direction. We got a bunch of Disney executives and a bunch of Oprah people to come in and try to do this. The biggest mistake that is being made is trying to appeal to the mainstream, that mythical mainstream. Yeah. And, you know, I was there in 1985 at the Allentown wave pool contest where the great Ian Cairns and the great Pete Townend, who I respect deeply because they tried to bring the Australian attitude of surfing to America, and they really tried to get it into the mainstream, okay? Um, it's not going to work. It's never going to be a mainstream sport. We must celebrate ourselves as fringe dwellers. 
We have to do this. That is what is interesting about us. The fact that we jump off the edge of the continent and face this incredible interface between the ocean and the sea. And that is what's in our, our character. Like, for example, when you have to endure those dreadful post-heat interviews with the WSL, those horrible things that make us look like a bunch of simpletons, it, it outrages me oh, as, yeah. as, a, as, a, as a journalist. You know, like, what, what message are we trying to say? I think we need to send out the message that we are remarkable athletes doing a remarkable act and that we are wild characters in a very, very wild global coastal sport. I, I wish they were were more, like, I wouldn't say honest, but, you know, you look at UFC Dana White, he's he does, he hasn't, to me, has no filter about the sport, just yes. how it is. Mm. And, and I... And I, I sometimes I wish the WSL commentators or the CEO can just say it how it is and uh, and not try sugarcoat it so much. Um, for well, yes, there's been a lot of dishonesty, and the main thing is there's there's everybody sounds uninformed. Now, Peter Mel, you know, a titan in our sport, is mm-hmm. so well informed. This guy was a hot small wave surfer, aerial specialist. He's He's a badass. He's a big, tall brawler. He's a surfboard shaper. He comes from a legacy of surfing and uh, a family of surfing with his father, John Mel. And and he's from Santa Cruz, for crying out loud. That's like being from yelling up. You know what I mean? These guys can clear out bars. You know what I mean? And he is <laughs> he is so informed. And yet he's like a horse that has a bridle and they're just holding him back and not letting him run, you know, like we should be able to say these things. My God, Tyrant, do I remember our commentary <laughs> at the Bell's Beach contests? I did it for 15 years. It is the it was the best commentary. Oh my me, Claw Warbrick, uh Reggae Ellis, Neil Ridgeway. We even had Peter Druin up there. We had all these people. And we were calling it as it is. And it doesn't mean you have to do the Australian write-off. It doesn't yeah. have to be that. You 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 speak the truth and you speak about these people who you know and their personalities. And, you know, hey, yeah, just the other day, uh, you know, Shane Horan and I, we were surfing uh, down at um, uh, Johanna there. No, I think it was Gibson Steps. And we were, you know, you know what I mean? Like really yeah. getting it on, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. So I hear you. We need that. And, you know, when it comes to the mainstream, I think they would be fascinated by that. 100%. 100%. Hey, Matt, I'd, I'd like to um, talk a little bit of, um, about maybe your early days. Now, I know you, um, some of our listeners uh, across Australia may not know a lot about you. Just briefly tell us uh, where you grew up and how did you get into surfing? Oh, sure. Sure, I will. Can I say something first, though? And it's going to sound like... I don't know. It's going to sound like I'm 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 trying to groom you or something. But I, one of the points I wanted to get across was that I'm really happy to be on a podcast in Western Australia. You and I'll tell you why. I love that place. I've always loved desert surfing all my life because just uh, to the south of us we have Baja California. Yeah, and I spent a lot of time there and the adventure of the great the great winds and and how i can relate to the fremantle doctor and just that open ground and that big clean 
pristine, beautiful ocean you guys have. And just that big environment, you know, to me, when I was competing, and even when I went on to be a journalist, I really looked forward to Western Australia. And I yeah, just wanted you, I wanted you to know that. My beginnings are real simple. I was born to a Navy family. So we were traveling, you know, since birth. And we ended up in Honolulu. My dad was stationed at Pearl Harbor. And my dad at the time was a very rare thing. He was a he was a uh, a Navy uh, pilot that had become a Navy dentist. And he was a single father with three children, my older sister, my older brother, Sam, that I'm sure everybody's familiar with, and me, the youngest. And he was a single father. And in 1967, there was no such thing as uh, daycare. And so since there was no room on the base where we could live, the Navy put us up on Hotel Street in Waikiki in a hotel, which I don't know if you remember Hotel Street in those days, but it was basically the red light district. And we'll talk about that some other time. But anyway, my dad would my dad would go down to the beach with us in the morning, basically at dawn, and he'd have uh, a slab of Primo beer. And he'd give it to the uh, local beach boys and go, these guys are great swimmers. Don't worry about them. I'll be back later. And that was our daycare. Wow. So my, my, my <laughs> sister would my sister would be on the beach reading her books. And yeah. Sam and I were taught how to surf by surfing legends, Rabbit Kakai, Leroy wow. Choi, you know, and we were taught how to surf. And one of the interesting things that that I think about my brother and I is that we were pushed into the very first wave at exactly the same time. And we stood up at the same time wow. as regular, as regular foots. And we just looked at each other. And by the time my board hit the sand and, and sifted up onto that beautiful Waikiki beach, I knew I had my answer for the rest of my life. Wow. And by God, Sam and I made a, our whole lives about surfing. And, and we're very proud of that. What, what right. luck, what luck it was to not only be taught by great, Beach Boys, so that we were good surfers right away, but um, and to be taught all the ocean skills by these guys, you know, but but to 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 have put the hook in us in in such an incredible environment as Waikiki in 1967. Wow, that's classic. Mate, what a business model for a daycare. Um, uh, Uh, Perfect. I would have, yeah, that would have been amazing. Man, I grew up in the middle of West Australia. We grew up in a desert and uh, we we couldn't go too wrong, but we were just left to our own devices, basically. Um, of but, course. But, but I grew up with four brothers and actually one time we all, we all just got on our bikes and rode away for the day and then our parents were concerned 12 hours later we weren't back. So they ended up calling the police we were actually in a beer garden, you know, we call them beer gardens in Australia, a big outdoor pub, and we were just hanging out in the swings in the beer garden. Um, but yeah, well, I have to tell you, I've got to tell you, I know what a beer garden is, man. Okay, <laughs> but you know this, you know this day, you know this day, this uh, this daycare program. I think that uh, we should get your listeners to 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 put a petition together, and we can test it at Triggs Point. Wow, you know? <laughs> test it up there at Triggs. You know, sure. Uh-huh. Start out easy, you know, start out easy. You know, we don't want to, we don't want to start at the balmy. Yeah. 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 No, go easy on them. Now, before, like you were a pro surfer. Now tell me if these dates are are right, Matt, 1979 to 1984, you were on the pro tour. Yes, I was. 
And both I'll, my brother Sam and I were on the pro tour. And I was just um and then I was just looking at some of the um the, the who who won the world titles that year. You were on the tour when MR had the uh the four four world titles in a row. I've surfed against Rabbit, Sean, MR, Denke, Aloha. You bet I have. Did I win a single heat against them? No, but I was I was out there throwing punches, you know. Um, no, I was a bit of a ghost on the tour. Um, I was a mid-level uh, surfer. I My surfing did not suit uh, competition surfing. My brother, of course, was a good competitive surfer. He was a West Coast champion, almost became uh, America's national champion. But my surfing, um, I was, uh, my surfing was more about grace and about yep. tube riding. And it was, um, it just, my personality didn't, didn't suit. I, I'd be out in the heat and I'd say, oh, go ahead, Gary Timperley, or go ahead, Rabbit. You know, you, you take this one. You know, I was that guy. And come on, man, you know, that's never going to work. So I'm um, not making any excuses. I was proud of what I tried. Um, the other, the other uh, big issue with, with my surfing is I was never a big wave charger. I always had a little anxiety out in, 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 in giant surf, which is why I never lit the North shore up. My brother had a good dig at it, but, uh, you know, I wasn't one of those guys, you know, dropping into 20 foot sunset beach and stuff. So that held me back as well, but I was still proud of what I did. I did the best I could. And I was always I was always so much more interested in telling the stories about everything. Yeah. I was way more interested in that than I was in actually trying to get a trophy, you know? Wow. Um, and that, and that pretty much sums up my entire, you know, pro surfing career. But do you know, my brother and I were sponsored by stubbies. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> we were, we were st sponsored by stubbies and how that happened is, is, is a remarkable or remind, remind me if I'm they were the shorts, yeah, the little stubby shorts. Yeah, the little stubby shorts that, that you know that, that were inspired by brickies, you know. <laughs> you, you, you got your you got your blonnies and your stubbies, mate. That's and the stubbies, you know, the stubbies, of course, are your small beers there, you know, but um, you know, the lunch beer for the for the brickies. But yeah, um, the Australian company really liked my brother and my attitude. They thought we were very marketable and you know, we were we were young and fit, and you know, we we, we presented a good package. So um, they came over to America and tried to sell stubbies to the Americans. So for a couple of years, uh, my brother and I were the stubbies team, just him and I. That's a classic. Fantastic, we loved it. I take it you would have surfed because they had a couple of stubbies sponsored events at Burley, didn't they? Um, Boy, did they. Yes. Yeah, that was quite a quite an iconic event, wasn't it? Up on the up well, on the that, that was the event because it was Tyron, it was so exotic. I mean, back then that you know, the Burley Head Hill, it that great um, you know, the car park with that beautiful grass that went up that hill, and it was a that headland, and you could look down into Surfer's Paradise and look up into Crub and Alley area and all that. And it, it just uh, and that crystal clear water and those those sand dredging barrels for us in California oh, to come over there. It, it, it was Nirvana. Oh. And the, the honor of being able, being able to compete in that thing. Cause we'd been watching this surf movies and doing all this and it, you know, to paddle out against, you know, rabbit Bartholomew or, you know, it, it, it was a real honor, you know, I, I tell you what, it was, um, you know, I, I grew up in Perth, but, you know, moved down to the Yelling Up region later in life. But I remember, I mean, I grew up on Tracks magazines and and just, you know, seeing the odd video clip 
of the stubbies of Burley. And for me as a kid, being a natural footer, that place looked like Nirvana as well over here on the West Coast. And no wetsuits, Tyron. Oh, yes. You can paddle paddle out in your stubbies. Exactly, exactly. So, Matt, you you mentioned you obviously had a passion for for riding. When did you actually um, start surf riding? I know you've written other things than surf, but when did you actually get into riding? I have written very little about other things than surfing. Very little. I've been... I've been writing about surfing all my life. It's been 35 years now. You mentioned you mentioned 40 years earlier. I want to correct everybody, okay? Because remember, old is always 10 years older than you are, okay? So, <laughs> okay? So it's only been 35 years, man. Yeah, sorry, man. Anyway, but here's the thing. Um I was always I was always a storyteller and when I became when I retired from my pro career, which basically meant I just had enough, um, I took a chance. I, I I I I bought a good camera, learned how to use it in like a week by hanging out at a camera store, if you can believe that. And then I went to the Caribbean to surf a specific wave that my brother had surfed that I hadn't. And it's it just seemed like paradise. It was called Cane Garden Bay. And it was on the a British Virgin Island of Tortola. And I knew that the travel issue of Surfer Magazine was coming up. So I went there completely independently on my own dime, found the wave, and I shot a photo from the boat I was on of one anonymous guy on a perfect wave with that perfect backdrop. Do you want to come down and talk to us? And I thought I just won an Academy Award. You know, I I was getting ready to accept a Nobel Peace Prize for that article. You know what I mean? Like, wow. So I drove down there and walked in and uh, Paul Holmes said, look, Matt, you know, because you're so connected to the surfing world and because you know all these guys and because we see, you know, this the writing talent you have in this story, how would you feel about being our, our editor at large? And I said, I have no idea what that means. And he goes, well, we want we want to send you around the world. We want you to keep oh. going on the tour. We want to yep. send you everywhere around the world, and you can just report back on it. Oh, dream job. Now, Tyron, I want you to think about that for a second. That's okay. a dream job. <laughs> think about somebody. Think about somebody asking you that. Would, would Would you like to do this? I was just like, are you are you out of your? Have you taken leave of your senses? Of course I will. You know, and 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 that started. That started the whole thing. And and it was lucky that I knew everybody. And it was lucky that I'd been in heats. And it was this was lucky that I had these connections and that people I'd been talking to these people, you know, since I was a kid. So that gave me a real advantage to get really deep. I'm, you know, that's why I that's why my brother gave me the title for the book in deep. He just said, Matt, you've always been in deep. You've been embedded. You've been, you've written from the inside out. You know, you're not an acolyte. You're not a fan. You're not, you know, you're not sitting at the feet of Kelly Slater. Hey, give me an interview, Kelly. It was never that. It was very natural. And, you know, I think unique in a way, Tyron, because I was connected it was almost like I was a mafia guy writing about the mafia. Yeah. <laughs> That's classic, mate. Oh, 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 yeah. You know, um, I've seen the cover and uh, I mean, I know who's on the boat of, of your book in deep, 
I mean, when I first looked at that, I thought Indo Adventure. Um, yes. Can you can you describe 19, 1984? That was 1984, and I'll tell you something real interesting about that. 1984 Bali, yes, had been discovered, yes, but 1984 was was it, it was still here. Bali was still here in 1984, and we heard about this place called Shipwrecks because we saw it in a movie, and it was in the little island of Nuslimbangan. And to get over there, you had to sail over there in one of those prahus, you know, with a single cylinder, you know, engine, you know, going over that, you know, these 20 foot waves in the channel and all this kind of stuff. And it was adventure. It still was adventure to get over there. And I just thought that that photo really, um, the photo of the cover of the book in deep, I, I think it really says a lot about surfing and not about me. Uh, the only thing it says about me that I'm proud of is that it was my brothers and my adventure and we've we've we're still joined at the hip and our surfing life has always been ours yeah and the luck of having that as well you know and a, a brother who is also a great rider and has an encyclopedic knowledge of surfing that was also a, a a lucky thing for me in my riding but that picture where you see one of the early channel islands thrusters in the foreground with glass on fins no less and you know, there we are on that boat and how we paid for our trip is that we brought the first refrigerator to Nusa Limbanga. Oh. It was on the boat. We had to bring a refrigerator and that's how we, that's how we paid for it's our like passage. And I'll tell you what, the surf was insane and we had found it. And in this moment on the cover, we just pulled up and the first set came through and Bernie Baker said, hey, and we we looked over and he wanted to get the look on our faces. And there it is. And thank you for recognizing that, because that I think that photo is very special, not because I'm in it. I think it's special because it captures a sense of adventure that still exists today, whether you're an eight year old, you know, dragging your surfboard down the manly corso at the end of the street or whether you're finding wild waves in the Andaman Islands as a grown up. It still it still exists, and I think this cover captures that youthful glee of adventure and discovery. Yeah. Well, it took me back to my first trip to Indo in 86, and I remember going to G-Lan in 87. Uh, it just reminded me of the – it was just the – and I still remember the trip. It was maybe the best part getting there, you know. Um, oh, Yeah. G-Land in, in 1987 was an adventure, brother. Don't yeah. forget that. That was still an adventure, man. It was, yeah. And even just um, even just making the trek out to Uluwatu um, still etched in my memory bank, you know, all, all, all those years ago. And, I, I mean, I still get that same feeling when you go walk down into the cave. It's still it's still there. But, yeah, I just love the, um, yeah. The, the, well, that, the that's one of the things. That's one of the things about Bali the seventh state of Australia, basically. <laughs> How many states do you guys have? So nine, seven, nine, what? Anyway, um, here's the thing. It's still here, Tyrone. It's still here. Yeah. Yes, this place has had the holy hell beat out of it mm. with development and, and, and catastrophes and, you know, natural disasters and bombings and, 
and particularly all this development that's going on that's just it's weighs so heavily on our shoulders here. But man, you walk into that cave or or you walk down through the Padang 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 steps, or you yeah, yeah, you exactly. look you look into the eyes of an old Ibu making your nausea goring and she smiles at you. It's here, man. Yeah, yeah. It's still here and it always will be. And most of all, the liquid gold is here. These waves have not changed a whit. Yeah, no, it's exactly. liquid gold for these people here, for the Indonesian people, the Balinese people. Those waves have pumped so much money into them. Their kids are getting educated. They've gotten, you know, better medicine. There's some real positive side to all this, to the surfing colonization of Bali. You can whinge as much as you want, but you can look into the positive side of things. You know, I agree. I tell you, one of the most positive things that's happening is the environmentalism. Yes, it's a slow evolution, but I saw a little kid just the other day, couldn't be 10 years old. And his friend had an ice cream on the beach and he dropped the wrapper and the 10 year old shoved him onto the ground and forced him to pick it up and put it in the garbage. Wow. These were Indonesians. I just went, okay, great. And then of course there was that great movement that I'm very proud that I was a small part of, but it was student led where it, it eventually led to no plastic bags in any of the quickie marks. Well, yeah, that's awesome. These, these young kids did that, you know, I helped promote it big deal they did it yeah. so that's really exciting and we have this tremendous if any any bali lovers out there in western australia we have this tremendous nonprofit here called sungai watch sungai is the is the word uh in bahasa for river and man are they doing a hell of a job so if you have if you feel like contributing to something because you love Bali, look up Sunai Watch and, and send them like $10 million, okay? Because they're doing a great job. That's awesome. Yeah. That's I assume awesome. you have that in your account. You you have a loose 10 million around. Yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. Mate. We, we get a few dollars from the podcast. <laughs> Actually, um, the only thing we get from the podcast, Matt, is beer and wine. We got a local uh, brewery down here called Cheeky Monkey Beer. Um, and then we've obviously Margaret River is littered with wineries. We've got a a really nice wine. It probably doesn't help that cause, but I'm sure we can we can put it out to our our, our listeners to uh, get the cobwebs out of their wallets and um, yeah, support a place yeah. that um, us West Aussies uh, visit every year. Now you book in deep, and I and I heard you described it um, uh, as something you put in the bathroom. Um, yes. Great bathroom book. And I'll tell you why. I think it's really, I think it's really important, even though we've told stories of the old days. And even though, you know, I'm in my early 60s, this is not a memoir. It is not a history book. It is not set in chronological order. Hmm. This is a book for young people. This is a book for people that will, that if you want to get into surfing and you really want to see what's going on and and get that feeling of character that you don't get on Instagram, that you don't get on the WSL broadcasts. It's because this book is a book of stories, mm. individual, unrelated stories that you do not have to read from start to finish. You can thumb through it in the bathroom there and, oh, I think I'll read about, oh, okay, I'll read that one. Oh, that one looks interesting, you know, that sort of thing. They're short, they're magazine articles, they're digestible. And also, 
you know, I, I would also like to say that I'm a big supporter all my career of female surfing. Hmm, and I have a lot of stories. There's a number of stories in here that really get inside the heads of Kiala Kenley, Lane Beachley, Stephanie Gilmore. Uh, you know, the list goes on. So it, it's, you know, I'd really like to see some female girl reader surfers out there to believe in this book because there's a lot about them. And I'm not trying to pitch it. I'm not trying to sell anybody any insurance. I'm just letting them know that this is not a history book. It is not in chronological order. It's a group of stories that will make you proud to be a surfer. That's awesome. The, a group of stories, that resonates for me, and I'm sure um, a lot of our Barrel Surf podcasts um, listeners, they love to hear stories. And uh, actually, my eight-year-old said to me, Dad, I want to start surfing. So we're going to actually start in Bali. And when I when I think of the book and all the stories, I think of something to to pass on to your kids to uh to read about and and having so many characters in in the book and so many stories it's it's uh it's yeah it's, it's um and, and you know what it, it something funny happened the other day there was this young person and 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 she said she was a surfer and she said oh yeah i heard you wrote a book i said yeah sure she goes oh i i, I read some I'd, I'd love to read it so i i, I happen to be in the surf shop at the time that carried it here, the white monkey surf shop. And so I went, I went, I stepped over and grabbed the book and I said, here you go. And I put it in her hands and she goes, Oh no, this book is way too heavy. I, I could never read this. And I thought for a second, I said, what too heavy philosophically or, you know, what are you talking about? No, it just weighs too much. Like I, I can't read books like that. They weigh too much. And yeah. I just went, Oh my God, lady, listen, young lady, listen. <laughs> so I thumbed open to the Kiala Kenley story. And I said, I just want you to read the first three sentences out loud. Mm. Just do it. And so she read the first three sentences and went, oh, wow. And I said, look, I'm giving you this. I am buying this book for you. Wow. Okay. Yeah. This is yours. Take it home and get into it. Yeah, gosh, maybe it isn't too heavy. That's classic. Oh, man. Can you imagine? Don't judge a book by its cover. Can you imagine? Yeah. Don't, judge a, don't judge a book by its weight. Oh, no, I know. That's the first time I haven't heard that one. <laughs> But speaking of stories, um, I actually saw in one of the local newspapers, it's been 40 years since Australia won the America's Cup. And obviously, there's a lot of controversy about the wing keel. And you've got, and obviously, Shane Haran used the uh, the wing keel. So in your book, you you said you spent a week with Shane. Um, Have you... uh, yeah, can you describe that week? And uh, have you actually caught up with Shane over the last few years? Oh yes. Um, let me see. As you know, uh, as most people know, um, I do not do a story on a personality. And I have my five day rule. It's called. And my five day rule is I will not do a profile uh, on a famous surfer or anybody unless I can live with them for five days, and that's twenty four seven. I've slept on a lot of couches. Have you and ever broken that rule, Matt? The five day. Have you ever broken that, or is it always? It's always that. It's got to be a minimum of five days, wow. or more, wow. or more. I need to spend time with you. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to know your mother's maiden name. I. It's real. There's nothing worse than those interviews where you get 15 minutes in a in a cafe somewhere. There's nothing worse. They're so. Sh- 
shallow. It's like Instagram. It's so bloggy, you know, and yeah. Instagram, everybody's swimming around in the shallow end. You know, you yeah. want to get deep. <laughs> I keep saying it, don't I? You want to oh. get in deep. Okay. Yeah, you want to get in there and see what's going on. And so, you know, this is why we don't have no idea who John John Florence is. We have no idea these days. Who are these people? Who are these people who are influencing us so deeply, the way we surf, what we ride, how we dress, what we want to be, what inspires us? And we don't know a goddamn thing about them. And that's what the modern social media has done, because everybody, everybody's Bethany Hamilton. Because on the Instagram, you wake up and cuckoo, I'm in my ice bath and here I'm having my Asahi and oh, you know, my, here's a, my beautiful wife's birthday. And, you know, they're arguing and it's like, you know, come on, man, you know, can we get real with these guys that influence us so deeply? So anyway, with Shane Aran, I was I was a friend of Shane's and, and still am. And I. I was so proud of what he was doing when everybody else thought he was insane. Hmm. Here was a young man that was orphaned to the world tour. Hmm. He was basically a ward of the world tour. He grew up in Scrabbly Bondi. He was the uh, national skateboarding champion. He had that shock of blonde hair and the white, uh, I mean, uh, the zinc oxide on his nose. And yeah, he was a tremendous surfer and a great tuba and all these things. But who was raising this guy? Yeah. You know, it, he always seemed to be familyless. You know, you know, Mark Richards always, you know, family support, family support. You heard all about the family support, you know, but Shane. And so when he decided he got to an age where he decided to find his own path and he decided to experiment with the popsicle stick boards and the laser zap and, you know, Ben Lexon's, you know, um, sailing designs and all this and to live out on a to live out on a commune in Gooningary up above uh, Byron Bay, you know, and studying yoga and macrobiotic diet and living with men mm. and, you know, being celibate with women, you know, and trying to find his own path. I thought, you know, hooray for you, you know, you're finding yourself. And this was the period. Now, when you read that story, you will find a lot of disdain in my voice because I was shocked at how rootless it was. Mm. Um, it, it was not, it didn't have a foundation. It was like he was on a cloud and I wanted it to really be, to have strong roots. And so that's why you, you'll hear a lot of disdain in my voice because of the other men that he was living with were full of shit, yeah. you know, yeah. and pardon my language, everybody. Yeah. And, um, and he wasn't because he was a great champion and a great Australian athlete. And, and the, the, the people he was with were, 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 they were shootable, you know, yeah. like they, they were, they were, they weren't at his level, you know? And so I, you'll, when, when you read that article, Shane Horan's rainbow bridge, you'll hear a lot of disdain in my voice. And Shane and I talked about it later in life. And he said, you know, Matt, you could have been so much more positive about things in that article because, you know, we were really trying to change something. And I had to tell Shane, Shane, it seemed like you were. I wouldn't say we. So I'm with you. And, and you know, and when we talked it out and shook hands like mates do, and because he said, but I'll tell you one thing, Matt, there was nothing in that feature that wasn't true. Hmm. So 
I yeah. can't pull you up. I can't pull you up on that. And I said, thanks, Shane. I appreciate that. So we're still mates. Yeah, classic. How much um, impact mentally did it have on Shane coming runner up four times? Do you think? Well, what I observed because Shane ran, I mean, he was the most fierce competitor of any surfer, more than Mick Fanning. You know, he, let me put it this way during the Bell's Beach contest, our lay days were spent playing uh, AFL next to the Torquay pub in the field there. And Shane would mow everybody down and grab the ball and never kick and never pass ever. He was going to make it to that. He was going to make, it was going to be a goal or nothing. Shane, I'm open. I'm open. I'm open. I'm open. Kick it, kick it, kick it. No, he'd hang on to it and go, and go we call for that, it. We call that hungry in IFL. Yeah, he's hungry. And he and I never, I don't even know if he could kick. We didn't even know if he knew how, you know, we're just, God, once Shane got the thing, we just stepped aside. Go ahead, Shane, go ahead. So he was so fiercely competitive that I believe, and so individual that I believe um, he was rocked by the Mark Richards design, the the style of surfing that Mark Richards was doing without any tube riding. You remember Shane was a tube hungry. Yeah. Shane invented Shane invented the floater, you know, and he was doing all these things. And Mark was, you know, another friend of mine, Mark was looping around on this twin thing. Like, where is he going on this thing? It was like, wow. I'll tell you one thing. He wasn't where he wasn't going. He wasn't going in the tube. And Shane Haran thought the tube was very, very important mm-hmm. to competitive surfing. And when you see him surf, you'll see he's always looking for it. He's all, even if it's just a little cover up at Burley or something, you you have to utilize that part of the wave. So I think that, and please don't think that I'm running down our great four time champion Mark Richards. He's a good friend of mine, but um, but I'll tell it like it is, you yep. know. Um, and I think Shane, this is what really spun him off into. I've got to come up with my own design. And my own way to win a world title. And it just, it was very, it was, it was brutalizing four times to yeah. come in second place when you're the guy that doesn't let go of the football ever. And, and he was so interested in, he just knew that there was another design out there. There was another one. And I love people that go too far, you know, that laser zap or that popsicle stick, you know, I love people that go so far that they have to come back. You know, yeah. it reminds me of the shortboard revolution of 1967, 68 and all that, where, you know, you know, Bob McTavish and these guys, you know, are cutting their boards down to four feet and the 1970 world titles, which of course I wasn't there, but when, when Nat Young and those guys showed up with like, you know, five twos and stuff, you know, and, and American Rolf Arness on a seven, two, just, served circles around him because he could catch a wave, you know, but um, I I love guys that go too far with design. So to get back to it, my answer is this, did four Mark Richards world titles affect Shane Horan deeply and affect his life deeply? Absolutely. Yes. And I was there to see it. Yeah. Such a, such a legend. Um, Just on board designs, it just actually made me think of, Kelly, um, 
You know, in uh, in the early days of Ke- Kelly's surfing career, was he sort of chopping and changing surfboards like his design, or was it over the last 10, 15 years, it looks like Kelly's not afraid to try different boards, different fin setups? Has he always sort of been um, ex- experimenting experimental with his surfboard designs all his career or did you think it's the last decade or so it's the last decade or so or last 15 years maybe yeah. Yeah. let's face it he hasn't won anything ever since he got off the of channel islands but i'll tell you i talked to kelly a lot he wrote the forward to the book um you know he's a mate and here's the thing when you've done what he has done i think it's really healthy for every one of us as surfers to seek some time in our life to seek different sensations on a wave. And that is what he did. Winning contests or heats or no, he reached a point where he was ready to feel some new sensations and to experiment with design. Now, I don't know when's the last time you've been out on a kneeboard and you've stood up on it. But it's a different sensation. It's a different feeling. It's a different surfing. And trying to incorporate that into a world tour is something that Shane Haran did. It could be deadly. Okay. But do you really want to ride a 511 thruster your whole life? You know, so I, I really, I'll answer your question. In the early days, no, he was being given boards like any young Superman. Okay. Of course. And then he came along at the apex of al merrick's shaping the apex because he'd learned all this stuff from tom current and and kelly slater inherited the wisdom of the greatest surfboards on earth at that time and that had a lot to do with those 11 world titles because not only kelly's inhuman skills but the fact that those boards were tuned and waiting for a surfer like Kelly Slater to take it to the next level. And he inherited all that wisdom and he inherited those boards and man, did he know how to ride them. So to answer your question, no, he was given boards when he was young. He reached an age in his remarkable career where he wanted to experiment and find new sensations. And I, for one, am proud of him for doing it. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, I think as all uh, West Aussies or, or Aussies um, grew up watching black and white, and I just remember seeing him on the Al Merrick at Trestles, and I thought, wow, sure. how's this that, guy? that was really something. And everyone else was trying to catch up, you know. And um, and I think the guy, you know what's remarkable about the guy that came the closest of all of them was Rob Machado. Yeah. And, and Rob Machado was so beautiful his surfing was so beautiful and and kelly's was just so perfect it was but it wasn't rob's beauty you know it kelly's lines were were explosive and powerful and and right and of course stylish but rob was beautiful you know you know what i mean it still is he made a career of being beautiful because that's what was in his heart, you know, yeah. unlike most surfers who come from really messed up backgrounds and single mom families and, you know, these just being orphaned to the surfing world. I mean, even myself, you know, my, my single dad, um, 
Rob came from a beautiful place in, you know, in, in North County, San Diego. He had a middle class loving family surrounded by a loving mother and a loving father and brothers and sisters that all came to each other's birthday parties. And it was beautiful. So look at his surfing. Yep. It was beautiful. Now you come from a hard scrabble American battler background like Kelly Slater. And I know nobody looks at him like that. And I'll yeah. tell you why in a second. I know a lot of Australians thought that Kelly just burst onto the scene with a silver spoon in his mouth, you know, yeah. Yeah. you know, no way, man. I was there when he was oh. young, single mom, absentee father, sleeping on the floor on mattresses underneath moving blankets, oh. um, hard life, broken down car that his mom would, you know, this smoking car that his mom would drive to all these contests, you know, no. He, Kelly fought his way to what he got. Believe me. Um, he, he was, he, it's the whole Mick Fanning story, you know? Well, yeah. It, it was, he, he, you know, he came from the Gaza strip of surfing well, and, he, yeah. and he made it. So that's something that I've always been really proud of my friend Kelly. I've been very proud of him to have surmounted what to many people would be crushing odds when he yeah. was young. Yeah, that's amazing. You mentioned he wrote the forward, and I know you've. There's a couple of stories in your book um, about yeah when you first met Kelly, and uh, yeah, I think a lot of surfers can relate. I'm sure there's a lot of surfers that have you know grew up in single parent families that can will relate. And you're right, Matt. There's probably a lot of Aussies that didn't, don't know about Kelly, you know, and 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 yet they probably had this thing in their heads that he that he was um, sort of given everything on on a platter, and um, mm -hmm. but yeah, that's awesome. Now, Aki, sure, Where's Aki? Yeah, Aki, I love Aki. I love, love talking about Aki. He's great. We you talk about battlers. You talk about people coming back and. Um, obviously that 99 world title, um, you know, Aki obviously won that year and to, to where he came from to get to winning that world title. I mean, we all loved it. Um, how was, I'd like to know the first time you actually met Mark Ocalupo. It was at the Coke contest there in Manly. And, um, it wasn't during the contest. It was at the, um, North Stain pub. Right. And, uh, I, I went to get my counter meal, you know, making my kangaroo steak. <laughs> and he was next and he was next to me and he and he introduced himself. He goes, Hey, aren't you that that Matt George guy? And I'm like, Yeah, you you're the Yank. Yeah. And I'm like, Yeah. <laughs> and um and, and and we just struck up a conversation and and the whole thing. And that's where I got the idea of doing a story with Mark because you know, he was coming on and he was such an incredible surfer. And God did I love the way he surfs. Oh yeah. Mark, just love it and i loved it and so anyway what 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 happened was back then and this this will make all the journalists out there this is going to make their mouth water back then surfer magazine would literally give me an envelope full of cash and a, in one hand and a ticket in the other and go go cover the australian scene for the season oh yeah do write whatever you want do whatever you want but yeah. get in and give us stories okay and i'm just like and I had a camera as well. And I didn't, I never shot surfing. I shot personalities and places. And yeah. that always supported my, my articles. And 
and you can see a lot of these 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 cool photos in in the book actually it's it's not a photo book at all it's a literary book and the photos are just the size of credit cards but you get the idea but anyway with mark um i was talking to him and he was one of those people that that i wasn't really interested in what he was saying i was interested in what he was not saying Mm -hmm. i go there's something really interesting here so i said hey mark you know like uh what do you say? I, I come visit. We do an article for Surfer Magazine. Oh, mate, that'd be great. You know, and I'm like, all right, man, let's do it. You know, so I went and lived with him in his apartment he just bought in uh, in Cronulla and discovered something very, very personal that I think a lot of us, a lot of us suffer and a lot of us deal with. And that is trying to impress a very difficult father. Mm. I think that 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 was the story I told was his challenge of of this remarkable family that he belongs to, you know, with a mother that's related to Sir Edmund Hillary and, you know, a, a father who, you know, wears a shiny suit and is, is obviously deeply Italian. And, um, you know, it, here was a father that wanted him to be the next Alberto Tomba that he wanted him to be the next great skier, not mm -hmm. what's this surfing thing, you know? And so Mark faced that, personal family challenge and i think that's something that all of us deal with mm -hmm. you know particularly surfers that have that have come from a humble background yeah uh were you at bells during those those iconic of course. yeah of course you know that famous the famous uh the famous heat with tom and uh i was traveling with tom kern at the time and um it was i think it was me and reggae alice and neil ridgeway i think we were and claw warbrick we were the commentary for that heat wow was, was i there yes, yes I, you were. <laughs> <laughs> and and to this day i you know what honestly i can close my eyes and still see some of those maneuvers isn't wow. that remarkable it's like you can you can close your eyes maybe and remember a famous movie scene or something you know but i mean i, I can i can remember that 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 one backside off the lip that Aki did where he hit it and he got a little airborne and then landed and recovered. And back then, I know that happens all day long mm. now, but back mm. then we were just like, oh, this guy is unbelievable. Oh, you know? right. It was great. And it's great to see them in, in these legacy heats too. You know, it's, it's great. Cool. To, like out, out it, out it, Jay Bay. I was going, you know, they should have put these guys in 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 the contest. You know, they, they, I think they do pretty well against Philippe Toledo. You know, <laughs> I, I reckon Tommy would give Philippe Toledo a run for his money. At J Bay, <laughs> oh, sure. Mate. Oh, Oki at yeah, Oki at J Bay, and I mean Tommy is wow. yeah, just phenomenal. And obviously the world title ninety nine. Um, yeah, like I said before, we were. I mean, I was stoked as a fan and as a, as a, as growing up, uh, idolizing Aki. Um, you say that potentially was the greatest uh, win of all time, like a comeback win. Sure. Well, yeah. I, I think, and I think it is a great Australian moment that should be celebrated. And I'll tell you why I was so proud of. Well, Australia is when I went to Australia to cover the season in two thousand. And I see in the middle of Sydney, I see a big billboard of good on you, Ock, you know, good on you, Aki, you know, and, and this guy, I'm like, yes, you know, Australia has recognized 
this great sporting achievement, particularly Australians that learn, you know, how to swim before they walk and how important the beach environment is to you and how environmental Australians are and all this. And here is an ocean athlete hero that came back from with this incredible achievement. I, I just think that he, I hope that he is, has a firm place in the memories and the pantheon of great Australian champions, you know. That's awesome. Hey, just sticking with on the, the, the Bradman, the Bradman of Australia. Tony Bradman. Mark Legend. Yes. Legend. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's, he, we'll celebrate him till forever. Sure. Now, Bell's Beach, we'll stick on that. Um, of me as a kid, one of my one of my memories is watching Nicky Wood. Um, actually, I think I was maybe similar age to Nicky Wood when he when he won Bell's. Um yes. Defeating Tom Curran, if you remember. Yeah. And and obviously over the – to me it feels like I can't – after he won that Bell's title, he just sort of fell off the planet, just disappeared. Mm. I know he kept competing. Um, what, are you, what are your recollections of Nicky Wood? I mean, 16 years of age. I take it you were, you were at Bell's for that win? I was there. I yep. was there. But first of all, i got to say that Bell's is my all-time favourite certainly tournament surfing tournament of, of of all time i had so much fun there and australia was just so welcoming to me and i've got these great memories and i've seen these great surfers like nikki wood at 16 years old you know winning this thing uh i i didn't get real close to him because of the age difference yeah and yeah. it was it was a very he was a very private young man and i think that so much attention was being thrown his way he almost, to me, he looked like the kid uh, that knew magic tricks and the parents force him to come out during the cocktail party when everybody, where all the grownups are drunk and he has to do the tricks. Yeah. You know, that little kid, no, wear the hat, honey, wear the top hat, honey. Yeah. You know, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And yeah. I think that was really difficult. And then, of course, there were the influences around him. Uh, particularly this, this, his older, his girlfriend who's quite a bit older than him and, you know, known as the black widow. And she terrified us. I mean, she was terrifying, but anyway, um, I was certainly won't mention any names, but, um, and then there was the fact of his, that incredible physical thing he was facing, the physical challenge of growing too fast, too tall, the pain involved in that, um, uh, you know, the, the remarkable growth spurt he had, what was it, seven inches in one year and the joint pain and all this stuff, you know. And so we were very understanding that. But I missed I missed that story. That's one of the stories that I did not tell. I, I, I missed that one. I, I would have liked to get into it. But I tell you who did a great job, if I'm not mistaken, was Derek Riley. Right. Derek did a great, you know, back in the glory days of journalism. Um let us not forget Derek Riley is a great journalist. And he, um, I think if you're interested in the Nicky Wood story, uh, try to find that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. We'll because I, I, you know, I, I still work for tracks. I've worked for tracks as long as I've worked for surfer magazine, you know, wow. 35 yeah. years. I'm, I just recently have a story in tracks. In fact, in the new issue, I have a great story about, uh, about Dylan Wilcox and that little kid from out in the Mentawai that surfs better than Andy Irons. Oh, yes, yeah, well, yes, kid, yes. I know the kid you're talking about. He's wild, and what a great story here! And I hope everybody runs out right now and buys tracks 
because oh. Tracks is the greatest surfing magazine ever. So go get it. Not well, because I have a story in it. I don't care. Just get the magazine itself. It, yeah. It's true blue. And of course, I've got to say also, Sean Doherty's magazine, Surfing World. I mean, that to me, that is that is just, that is an Australian national treasure. Yeah. So yeah. come on, guys, get out there and get some print media into your head and stop scrolling and get into it. 100%, 100%. Um, so many great stories in in deep. Um, Michael Peterson. Oh, the book? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Michael Peterson, you talked about the Stubbies. You were sponsored by Stubbies. Did you ever was MP? You would have seen MP compete during the Stubbies. Was he was he around? Uh, I just know he was already he was already uh, experiencing his fall from grace by the time I got there. Yeah, okay. Uh, but I've had close encounters with Michael Peterson, and I call them close encounters because it is like a- alien life has landed on Earth. And, you know, it, 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 I've had some pretty incredible encounters with Michael Peterson. I don't think, I don't, I don't know if he knew anybody, to be honest with you. Hmm. He was so into his own. I was going to say, I don't think he knows me. But he, but the reason I say that is because there's been times where our eyes have met and he's regarded me. And I know that he felt something like this is an individual. This guy, this guy is either dangerous to me. This Matt George guy is either dangerous to me, or he's something. Because the one thing that Michael Peterson had was he could read people. Mm. He could read people from a distance with one look of his eye. I know that. Talk to Rabbit. Rabbit will say the same thing, you know. And strangely enough, his brother Tommy has that. They can judge someone and see whether to completely ignore them or beware of them Mm. or embrace them. And the look I always got from Michael Peterson was beware this Matt George guy because he sees, he sees too. Right. Right. Yeah. Interesting. I know that sounds really self-aggrandizing. I'm so sorry. It just, but I'm just being honest, man. Oh no, please. No, that's he's he's, he saw that I could see, I could see people like him. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. No, it's classic. I sound like um, a jerk. Jesus. No, anyway. mate, not, not at all. Not at all. Now, Rabbit. Um, we, rabbit, the great Rabbit Bartholomew. The great rabbit. rabbit. We we love his commentary. Um, we, I love him. We we bumped into him. Actually gave him a, a couple of some beers down at the uh, the Margaret River Pro. Um, always yeah, on Rabbit. And, uh, yeah, did you got any uh, rabbit stories? I'm sure oh you got hundreds. Do I, hundreds. Do I have rabbit stories? He he is just unbelievable. Um, and we've spent a lot of time, and I've got a lot of time for rabbit. I think he was a great world champion, and mm. he did it. Tyron, he did it on bluster. You know, yeah. let's face it, he was surrounded by superior surfers. Okay, but he did it because he held his chin up and he pushed his chest out and he said, I'm doing this and you use mugs, you know, like you're not, he, he approached his pro career as if he was Ulysses. Yeah. And, and the reading that he did about all the, you know, you know, about these great heroes like Hercules and all this mythology and all this stuff. And he's man, I'm part of this, 
You know, I, yeah. I, I you know, he's like Prometheus. You know, I can draw fire from the sky. <laughs> and damned if, damned if he didn't. Yeah. And on the other hand, um, I remember seeing him and Tom Curran together, and they. I think Rabbit Bartholomew is one of the only people that could really sit down and have a conversation with Tom, wow. including me. I spent a lot of time with Tom. We practically yeah. used to live together. And, but there was something about Rabbit and Tom. And let's not forget that Rabbit Bartholomew, Tom Curran lists him as one of his greatest influences. And I think Rabbit is a very important uh, Australian sporting icon. And I think what he achieved is the achievement of that athlete that was not as gifted as you know surfing against Mark Richards and Dane K. Aloha and all these guys, but on on courage and on bravery and boldness, he took the world title that he knew was his since birth. You know? <laughs> and I every time I see Rabbit, I hug him. Oh, Rab. Bugsy, so good to see you. Oh, mate, you know, he, he he's just wonderful. Wow. And his relationship with Michael Peterson. You yeah. know, there's a story. <clears throat> Michael Peterson, uh, Rabbit used to play a lot of chess with Tommy Peterson. And there's a story that I've lost somewhere in the magazines. I, I'm going to try to find it. I'm, go I'm going to America for the book tour in, in two days, and I'm going to try to go through my archive of magazines. There was a story. There was this one night. It was late at night, and and Rabbit was playing chess with Tommy Peterson, and I was there, you know, probably thumbing through a tracks magazine, and and Michael Peterson walks into the room, and it was like his aura was there. You know, and it was almost like when Michael Peterson walked into the room, there was three people, you know, he was like three people and he walks into the room and and, and him and Rab were friends. And, you know, Rab, hey, how you going? You know, Mick, how's it going? And uh, <laughs> and Michael Peterson folded his arms, you know, together and started watching the chess. And all of a sudden, Rabbit starts looking up at him like this. And Michael would like blink twice and Rabbit would nod and he'd move a piece. Okay. And then, and then Tommy would go, you know, mate, 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 mind your own business, mate. You know, like, no, no. And Michael said, I'm not saying anything, Tommy. <laughs> oh, hang on, hang on. So all of a sudden, Rab's getting in a little trouble and he looks back up at, at Mick and Mick makes this little face and not, and Rab goes, yeah, mate. And he moves like this and he wins the game. So, oh, classic. And, and Mick never said a word. You yeah. know, I, wow. that's legendary. That's just legendary stuff, man. Wow. And, uh, yeah. that's Rabbit, Rabbit and Michael Peterson and Tommy and the whole Gold Coast crazies, you know, those wonderful people. Wow. You'll find some of those stories in this book. But I, you know what? You've inspired me to go. I wrote about that moment. And I'm going to go try to find it because it, it's a neat story. Yeah, it sounds amazing. Hey, Tommy Curran was obviously one of my favourite surfers. I know he's one of yours. Was he a super, like he doesn't, he never struck me as a super competitive guy. Like like he won three world titles. Like he, he could have won more if he wanted to. Was he really super competitive? In a word, yes. Second to Shane. Okay. Second to Shane Haran, let me tell you. All right. I just never got I've that. I've seen Tommy. 
I've seen Tommy Curran. He wanted this. Okay. Now, here we have another guy. T- terrible family background. Absentee yeah. father. Uh, you know, <clears throat> rabidly evangelist mother. Um, living in a little rented house below a freeway overpass with his father building a boat in the yard that he was planning to escape the family with. <laughs> wow. Are you, are you listening to this? This is Tommy's background. Wow. My brother, Sam, my brother, Sam, and I used to pick him up, feed him, um, bring him surfing. We surf together, then drop him off back at the house. I remember once one of the famous stories it's in the book. One of the little stories is we, we came to pick up Tommy and all of a sudden the of their little house, the little rental house that was there, boom, the screen door opens and little Jeannie Curran, his mom, mm. with the television, the family television set over her head. She was far stronger than she looked because she wasn't very big, came staggering out of the house onto the porch and she screams, Satan, get ye behind me. And she threw <laughs> <laughs> she throws the television set out into the yard where it explodes. What? <laughs> yes, Tommy. Tommy, wow. kind of, Tommy, with his board and his towel, kind of sneaks out between her legs, you know, but you know, and, and runs down the stairs and hops in the car and says, "Let's get out of here!" Right? Wow. So, you know. And That's- listen, I love Jeannie. She was a good mother. I mean, she yeah. she put food on the table for those kids. Yeah. You know, and she was there. She was there, evangelist or no. So please, I'm not insulting anybody's mom. That was just a remarkable moment. And by God, you know, she believed that television was evil. So good on you, mom, you know. Um, so please, I'm not trying to insult anyone. It was just, no, this no. is the kind of background Tommy came from. But let me get back to your question. Your questions are so good that I always fly off in different directions. But hang on. So the question, was Tommy competitive? Hell yes. I have seen, I have shown up to pick him up to go surfing in the 80s where i found him at dawn across the street in the playground across the street mm-hmm. jumping on and off a merry-go-round Do you know what a merry-go-round is yeah yeah, yeah yeah we've got yeah. a moment yeah. <laughs> one of those metal one of those metal yeah. merry-go-rounds been around he was doing plyometrics he'd, he'd read about plyometrics because he knew watching surfing that he needed more leg strength he had skinny little legs if you look at the early surfing of him he was not a big man and he had skinny little legs and he knew his legs were a challenge Mm -hmm. and so i'd go over and i'd sit there and i'd sit down on a bench and just watch him for a while jumping on and off a moving merry-go-round and then he would go over (laughs) and he would jump up on the bench next to me while we were talking where where are we surfing today jump uh, I think, uh, no, backside rink on maybe. I don't know. Maybe we should go down to a jump. Maybe we should go. And he would be doing this. And if you look at the history of his photographs or even his surfing, you will see that over a one-year period, his legs all of a sudden looked like Tommy Carroll's. Wow. <laughs> Is that possible? <laughs> and he, no, I don't think so. That might have been an exaggeration. But at any rate, he, no, Tommy wanted this. He mm. wanted this. And he had his beautiful young wife. Yeah. And she even told me, she even told me, man, people think this, we'd be watching Tommy in a heat. Like, 
when he won the Caton against all the great surfers, the Caton contest, Huntington Beach, and he wasn't allowed to take the prize money. And I remember his wife just going, this guy wants this, man. He wow. wants this. So don't ever think that Tom Kern wasn't a, a tremendous competitor with <clears throat> resolute confidence in himself. Hmm. I have a question for you. Have you ever hmm. seen him fall off? Ooh, um, straight off the top of my head, no, I haven't. No, I, I, I never have. I've known him for 35 years. <laughs> I've never seen him fall off. He's I've unbelievable. Never, I have seen him surf, him surf Margaret River. It's the only time I've seen him surf live was Margaret River. Okay. Um, that's back when they were surfing the left as the contest. That's right. Yeah, back in the mid eighties, and, and that um, was that giant, giant. That was. Day. I was there. That, that giant day that changed people. It made some surfers quit. Like, I'm never doing that again. Oh, you know? uh, I was on the beach too, Matt. I, 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 my my wow. mum drove me down from uh, Perth, um, and we just heard on the radio Margaret Rivers. 18 to 20 feet, and um, we were just jumping out of our skin to get down to the beach. Yeah. I was going to ask you about that because you do have a story about Mike Parsons, and I, I've got the photo of Snips was in the final, and uh, so you were you were in Margaret River that year as well. Well, my Mike – no, my Mike Parsons uh, – yes. Yes, I was. I was uh, – I, I was – driving around in the team America uh, Holden station wagon that we got, that we got at the police auction. But at any <laughs> rate, the thing is, no, my story on Mike Parsons takes place in San Francisco uh, when, he, yeah. when he wins the national championship. Okay. Yep. Um, uh, my um, no, I didn't, I didn't write that story about Western Australia, but I was there. Yeah. I think he mentioned it. You just mentioned yeah, it. About- oh, I mentioned it. I certainly mentioned it. Yeah. There was a surfer, named Chris Burke, an American surfer, who took such a tremendous wipeout that day that he just said, that's it. I'm done. I'm done with this pro surfing thing. Oh. Just, you know, he almost died and just said, that's it. I've had enough. Those sets oh, that were coming in out of the Indian Ocean as bigger than Waimea, power, power, power beyond imagination. I mean, that day really defined the mythology of Western Australia and the power that you guys have over there where everything is bigger, you know, um, you know, pilchards are six feet big. White sharks are bigger than submarines. The waves are 80 feet, you know, such a Jesus, man, you guys, everything in Western Australia reflects how big Western Australia is. Yeah. It's a phenomenal coastline and yeah, feel privileged to call this place home so have you done much surfing around the Margaret River area when you came in on those trips? Did you Mate, get I was like, I was, a ra- I was a Rabbit Hill local. Come on, I man. Are you <laughs> Hell yes. Yeah. And then there was, there's a, is there still a spot called Car Park? Yes. Yes. It's okay. Still, okay. Yep. Is it, still, it still breaks? Yeah, it still breaks. Yep. Okay. So we pull up the car, my, my memory of Car Park, we pull up there and somebody had made like a sign that like it looked like a child made it with crayon saying shark, right? And and was nice enough to put it in the parking lot. And we're like, yeah, okay, yeah, how can you play, you know, surfers? The surfers insane, great. We're all we're getting into our wetsuits, the whole thing. And all of a sudden, I think it was Dave Parmenter. Hey Matt, yeah, Dave, you, you want to come take a look at this? 
<laughs> I walk over, we look out in the surf, and there's a submarine-sized wow. shark. Yeah, it's still swimming, here. It's still swimming here. right through the lineup. Oh, and, shit. And, and Dave picked up, he had the sign in his hand. He goes, I guess this guy was right. Yeah. Oh. Not, so there were sharks back then, too, mate, let me tell yeah. you. I was out at um, uh, Rottnest Island. Okay. And I was out in the, uh, and it was just a, uh, uh, it was a, a lay day. So Shane Haran, Dave Parman, and I took the ferry out there. And we went to a place called Radars out at there. Okay, I know the way. Out on the plane. Yeah. And it was it was Shane who 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 first looked at me with a little bit of alarm. And I, I looked back at him and then I felt the alarm. And then I looked at Dave and Dave looked at me. You know how surfers feel that thing? Yeah. You know? And all of a sudden, right below Shane, and he was maybe two board lengths away from me, this shadow went underneath him. And I swear to you, the eye on this thing, the eye on this giant white shark was the size. It looked like the size of a dinner plate. Yeah. You know? And it, it was interested, you know, and, you know, we all stayed sort of calm, but I think that we all ran to the beach on top of the water. I, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that we actually ran on top of the water to get to the beach, but we got out of there, man. We stayed together. A set came. We, we got to the beach and we just went, but that thing was interested, man. Yeah. It was only us three in the water, you know. Rottenness is, is, is sharky. Rotto, as we call it. Very sharky yeah. place. Yeah, but what about those guys? I met a guy here who who did the uh, the mainland of Rottnest swim. Oh, they're nuts! Yeah, and they're I, nuts. I'm like those people should be incarcerated for being criminally insane. Yeah, know, like yeah. my God, the courage that would take. I know. There's so much boats and uh, there's so much watercraft. I think maybe that's why there hasn't been an attack. But uh, yeah, they're, they're cruising around. That's for sure. So these are the kind of experiences that you know that I had with these with these surfers and um and that I I uh was able to get on the inside and look out. And I also wanted to mention that I I mentioned Dave Parmenter's name. He's a dear He's friend. Quite surfing star. I used to love the way he surfs, Dave. Yeah. He's fantastic. And let's not forget, I think he was the best surf journalist in history. The way he wrote uh, was just so I, it was like reading John Steinbeck or something. You know what I mean? I, I just think he, I, I, I would suggest everybody out there, if you're interested in good writing, go to Dave Parmenter's Substack. It's hmm. a, it, it's a website where you can create your own thing. Just go go to Substack and, and read read Sam George and read um, Dave Parmenter if, if you're interested in reading. And Tyron, of course, I'm interested in readers. You know, I'm, I, I love talking directly to people that read, but you know, about surfing. So I think those are two really good suggestions. That's awesome, mate. That's awesome. And, and, and we can we can mention that um in in the details of this podcast as well, you know. Um well thanks. I, I'm sorry about all these plugs. I, I they just come naturally. I you know if if I'm not supposed to plug things, let me know. Like I'm not saying go out and buy a rip curl wetsuit, you know, at least I'm not doing that. There's no filter on this podcast. Uh, whatever <laughs> comes out, comes out. And um, yeah, don't think yeah, no, really, really enjoying uh listening to you, Matt. Hey, um, I know you mentioned Kelly and Tom are the greatest surfers you ever seen, and 
they're the same for me. I'm interested to get your take on on who you think some of the greatest Australian surfers that you've ever seen grace the water. Well, let me tell you a moment that happened recently. Um, I, I think Mick Fanning may be the greatest world champion we've ever had. Here's a man who came from a devastating background as a kid. And now look at him. He's partnered with Rip Curl CEOs. He's a successful businessman. He's a family man. He 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 still sur- I don't know if you've seen the latest Rip Curl movie, but he's just still surfs like a wild animal. Oh, this guy, this guy is so he's so, he's physically fit. He's come back from tremendous injuries. He has won three world titles. He he, he to me he is an unquestioned he. I'm going to say it. I think he's the greatest world champion we've ever had because of everything he has done in the Mm. surfing world. And Mm. I include helping out people during the floods and the fires. And, you know, he steps to it and he puts puts his body on the line. And let me tell you something that happened recently that 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 really convinced me of that. Now, of course, Kelly Slater. But Mick Fanning. Everything that now surrounds him to me was distilled in one moment. We recently lost one of the sons of Bali here. We lost Makala Jones to a terrible tragedy in the uh, the Mentawai. And we all went to his big ceremony here at the the cemetery in the crematorium. He was going to be cremated. And, you know, it was a private invite type thing and outdoor facility and we're all there and we all gather and we're all very quiet. And I look over to my right and there's Mick Fanning. And he's sitting in the back row between two, you know, old Indonesian women that didn't know who he was, didn't know. And he was just sitting there very quietly and respectfully. And throughout the entire ceremony, when people were called to come up and say words, is there anyone else out there that would like to say words? Did Mick Fanning go up there? No, he was not going to make it about Mick Fanning. He was, I could feel it. He was not going, he was good friends with McCall, but he was not going to go up there. And all of a sudden, Mick Fanning was here. You know, that yeah, he wasn't yeah. kind of, he sat in the back. He was quiet. He was respectful. When it was over, he quietly spoke with the family and he left. And he flew in for that mm. without any fanfare. Yeah. Nobody knew he was here. Nobody yeah. knew he was doing it. And that's when I tipped my hat, Mick. You know, it really moved me. Yeah. Here's a man. This is a man. Yeah. Well said, Matt. Yeah. No, he's a legend. He's such a, yeah. Words can't describe how much of a legend guy he is and all this, all the other stuff outside of surfing that he's been um, supporting. You mentioned about some of the, the the tragedies that we've had over on the East Coast with the fire and the floods. Now, can now, I mention now, another? Can I mention another world champion yeah. that I'm really impressed no, with? No, don't, don't let, me, let me tell you. Let me tell you. It gets a bad rap. Damien Hardman. Dilma. Have you seen? That? Have you seen him surf? I, I don't know, guys. I used to love Dilma's. Still, I haven't seen him surf uh, um, for ages. I used to love Dilma's. Have you seen him in the Mentawai? Have you seen his tube riding? Have you seen all this? Let me tell you something. Oh well, you know, back then the format of surfing. You know, you kiss my ass. Damien Harmon was a great Australian champion. He won two world titles, guys. That doesn't happen by accident. No. And he was 
good surfer and a good guy. And I think he really represents, you know, and what Narabeen, my God. And I think that he, you know, I think he represented Australia with pride. And I, I would like people out there to, to recognize in retrospect that he was a deserving two-time world champion. Um, so that's my call. No, he was a, a legend. Yeah, no, good, good call. A couple of great world champs. What I wanted to ask you about was Rio Whiter. Obviously, made big news being the first Indonesian to make the CT. I did ask Booger Cliff this question: Why has it taken so long for an Indonesian to make the championship tour? And will we see more more surfers like Rio come and get on the on the big stage from Indonesia? It's a matter of discipline. Um. The Balinese surfers, some of the most graceful, beautiful surfers, you know, the 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 uh the Made Winata Adiputra, known as Bol, Garut Widiarta, Mega Samadhi, these Parang Parang Cup winners that 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 paddle out into the rip curl, I mean the Parang Parang Cup and 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 beat all the international surfers that come here, fair and square. Okay. Mm-hmm. But there's the rub. It's this perfect surf, man. Yeah. You know? It's 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 the stuff, it's the stuff that you draw on the side of your math test, you know, when you're a little kid and you're bored. It's dream surf everywhere you go. So you think that an Indonesian who is very close to culture, very close to family, mm-hmm. you think they want to put on a wetsuit and go surf in Argentina? No. You know, where no one understands them, their culture, their here they live in extended families you know great grandmothers all the way down to the new kids they live in a compound they live together it's wonderful they have their food that they love and it's delicious and it all gets cooked and everybody shares then they have these incredible waves that they own they own these waves and there's no wetsuits there's no wetsuits okay all this kind of stuff adds up because Balinese and Indonesian surfers, in my opinion, are so internally happy and content and satisfied because of their family, their culture, their beliefs, and their waves. Why leave? Yeah, exactly. I don't, they don't need the money. They don't need the money. The money does, they don't need the money. They've got family, they eat plenty of food and cows over their head and they're loved. Yeah. Why? You know? Yeah, now, I'm getting to Rio. I'm getting to Rio. But the question is a matter of discipline. Now, 1979, North, Strad- North Stradbroke Island. I'm 20 years old. And there was a contest where they took eight internationals and put them up against eight Australians on North Stradbroke Island. I represented the United States of America. Okay. <laughs> and Katut Menda from okay. Bali. Yeah, got the job of representing Indonesia, and we were roommates in the North Stradbroke oh. Stradbroke Hotel yeah. when that cyclone hit. But I'm going off on a different story. So there was a surfer that tried. There was Katut. Then there was Dede Suriana, who mm-hmm. got all the way to um, Snapper Rocks in a heat against Kelly Slater. We were oh. very proud of that. But again, needed to go home. Oni Anwar. Rip Curl poured over a million dollars into this guy, moved him to Australia, got him coaches. 
he's back home in Lakey Peak now. You know, it's like, it's why leave Hmm. now, Rio? I mentioned discipline earlier. Just the other night, there was a a, a young, ambitious kid here, a a Boulay kid, a a, a, a expat kid. And he goes, hey, you know, we're at this big celebration. And he goes, uh, hey, where's Rio, man? You know, shouldn't Rio be here? Where is he? Where's Rio? And a friend of mine looked at this little kid and said, he's somewhere doing push-ups, man. (laughs) So Rio has trained hard. He yeah. was just born this thing. And as you know, he is uh, half Japanese. And so maybe in that blood is a great deal of discipline. He also comes from an extremely humble family in Jimbaran. Mm-hmm. And his father and mother have had to work very, very hard for him. And he honors that. And maybe that's Japanese blood too. Maybe it's in all our blood. But he has has got training discipline and he he lives it every day and that's that has been the difference and let us not forget that his life was influenced by the great uh football player Lionel Messi the soccer guy okay yeah when, when Lionel Messi was young he had he he was very very small and he had growth problems and his parents worked very hard to get uh, early growth hormone therapy mm. And I remember Rio's mother telling me the story of they were in their little warung, you know, the little tiny place where they're making Nazi goring and all this stuff. And over on the black and white TV, all scratchy and, and broken and the whole thing, she saw this story about Lionel Messi getting these growth hormone uh, injections and therapy. And she realized her son was suffering from the same thing. We have to realize that Rio Waida was a, was was not growing properly. He was very very small, okay. picked on at school. Everybody thought he was you know in in fourth grade when he was in eighth grade, and uh, it wasn't going to happen. And he had a dream. He had a surfing dream, and 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 he was showing all this discipline. And so his mother went to the father and said, we, "We've got to get him on growth hormones. We have to do this." And it cost a billion dollars, you know. So oh. the father, the mother took a new job, and the father took one of those horrible jobs in Japan as an Indonesian worker building high-rise buildings just to afford the growth hormone. And that is why Rio looks the way he does today with those wide shoulders and, you know, that the body that looks a lot like Kelly Slater, actually. Overdeveloped wide shoulders, very slim hips. But look at his hands. Growth hormone, for some reason doesn't affect the bones in the hands very much. So if you, yeah. So if you meet, if you meet Rio and he's completely open about it, yeah. just take his hands, his yeah. hands don't really match the body. This is the challenge that this guy faced, just like all these other guys like Kelly and Nick and all these guys with this family background. And, you know, these guys are battlers. And so, so to answer your question, Rio has had discipline that's why it has happened for him yeah i i, I did i did meet rio very briefly he seemed quite a shy guy um he's he was with his brother in margaret river and he was with um aria i don't think i've pronounced that name aria. Ar- yeah he was with just, him we'll just call him aria yeah i get it he's he's yeah. a real leader a real leader of uh indonesian surfing him yeah. Tim, yeah. Uh, 
um, Tippy Jabrick. These are the big names here. Yeah. Yeah. Big we've promoters. Met, yeah, I've met Tippy before. We've actually had Tippy on the on the podcast. Um, oh, fantastic. He's hey, a good surfer too. He's a he great is, surfer. He is. Good, good guy. Hey, we, we're probably going to get to the end of this, and I could actually sit here for hours, Matt, um, and, and just so listen. So could I. So I'm a storyteller, man. I, it'd be good. It'd be good I, if you ever get to uh, yelling up, and we can actually get you in our shed and yelling up, and uh, and um, yeah, have a few beers with it, or even a, even a glass of red. I'll, I'll come down. I'll come down there with Mark. I'm I'm um, I'm determined to have another Australian tour. I, I've got another one in me, and I want to come down and cover the the whole Australian leg. And uh, uh, be, I'm, I'm sure I'll be able to make it happen. That'd be epic. Now on the podcast, and sorry I didn't give you any pre pre warning, but we have a, a, a we call it segments. We have a Steve Irwin salute, which is basically anyone or anything in surfing that you give the double thumbs up to. Mm-hmm. And we've and on the flip side, we've got the Clive Palmer Cup. Clive Palmer is a greedy <laughs> mining mogul who tried to sue Western Australia, so. Basically, Clive Palmer, Clive Palmer Cup nomination is for for someone or something that you give the thumbs down in surfing. So doesn't matter yes. if you don't have a Clive Palmer or a Steve Irwin, but we'll start off with a with a Clive. Do you have any Clive Palmer Cup nominations on 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 anything that's pissed you off with with surfing, whether it's present or or, or past? Yes, the ir- the irresponsible. Yes, the irresponsibility of surf schools. The irrespons- the, the the wild irresponsibility of it. Okay. The fact that so many of them are with people who are not well informed. They don't do any uh ocean safety rescue CPR training certified by the Red Cross or by um your guy, is it St. Angel at St. Andrews? They don't, you know, uh, they don't teach them the, uh, how to the, the courtesies of the lineup. Um, they just they collect the money, they get them on these Jerry Lopez soft tops and they dump them in the ocean. You know, they push them into some waves, they encourage them and it's over. Now, I know there's some good surf schools out there, but I'm going to generalize. I, I'm i thumbs down to these irresponsible <laughs> surf schools that are are clogging our lineups with people who are not properly trained. And I'm talking about in their minds about what surfing is. Anyone can get pushed into a wave and get stoked and, you know, graduate from a soft top to a longboard. Yes, yes, I get it. No, I'm talking about these surf schools that don't really sit these people down and go, look, you're about to be a part of a tribe, a very, very special global tribe that has its own language and its own oral traditions and history. And it's got some rules, man. And you break these rules and you're breaking the code of the tribe. And when you break the code of the tribe in any indigenous, in any indigenous culture, which I consider us, you get ostracized and you get pushed aside and you're on your own. Mm-hmm. I want these surf schools to adapt that philosophy. Mate, I I agree. We don't have many here in the West, but um uh but I yeah, I I do see a lot of surf schools um in other parts, but mate, that's a great Clive Palmer Cup nomination because you know, you're sending people out to the ocean that, you know, could could cause more harm than good and and, and put surfers in the lineup um in danger sometimes to try rescue some of these people if they come unstuck. So no, I like it. I like it very much. Um, 
All right, mate. On the flip side, Steve Irwin salute. Now you would you, you would have you know the Steve Irwin. You obviously, are you kidding? Oh, no, I know. Steve, Steve, Steve Irwin was a huge hero in America. Yeah, yeah. You, you got to understand that he was a hit. I know you guys poked a lot of fun at him, but we love this guy. Oh, we, we love him. Too. We started saying "Crikey" for Christ's sake, you know. Like <laughs> we love this guy, and that's you know, and and we loved Crocodile Dundee. Was a phenomenon in America. We yeah. love Americans. Love Australia, and we love Steve Irwin. So my thumbs up is the print surfing media in australia okay you got australian surfing life surfing world and tracks big thumbs up to these guys they are still holding it down telling great stories informing people and i'll tell you something else that these print magazines do and i want everybody out there with a with a with a mobile phone to hear this one okay to see a surfing photograph a double page spread is something very very special when you're, when you're when you're on your phone, these images of surfing, first of all, are moving. Second of all, they're the size of a postage stamp. Now, remember, remember what it's like to paddle out into the surf and see your brother or a mate or someone get a great ride as you're paddling out and they're surfing you. Your mind will take a photograph of that mm. and you will never forget it. Mm -hmm. You will never forget that moment. This is what opening up a magazine and seeing a double page spread big, bigger than your little phone, and it's stopped. It's not this hysterical world that we're living in with all these clips of people bouncing and jumping and tube and all this stuff. It's a chance to stop and look and listen to what we're doing. Mm. Well said, mate. Well said. A couple of great... That's a great Steve Irwin salute. So important. Um, stop, look, and listen to what we're doing. Great. Great, mate. Now, Matt, now for us Aussies over here, how do we get hold of your book? You know what? Um, it, it, it's Amazon is the easiest. Amazon, yeah. yeah. Just go to Amazon. You, you, can, you can contact the publisher and all. I'm not going to put you through that. Just go to Amazon. That'd be easy. And, um, and, and they're, they're real good about it. They're real good about it. Yeah, no worries. Well, mate, it's um, I'm going to let you go. Um, what do we got? It's nearly lunchtime. Oh, We're in the same time zone, but if you if you do come over next year to to cover the uh, the CT leg of Margaret River, please, uh, yeah, make contact with us, and uh, whether it's just uh, a quick catch up or we'll get you in the shed to uh, talk more surf stories, and um, mate, it'd be an honour to get you get you in. You know, it would be my honor. I, 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 as I mentioned earlier, I'm such a fan of uh, Western Australia, and I understand it. I understand it because I've so much desert surfing I've done, and um, I, I'm going to have to insist that when you take me to the shed, that I get to pick the Margaret River Shiraz. No problem at all. Okay, mate. All well, right. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Cheers, mate. All right, brother. Thanks so much. And to all my Western Australian surfing brothers, get out there and get it on. I'll see you next year. Thanks, mate.